0: This episode of PodSAM is brought to you by Flake, making ski school management simpler, smarter, better.
1: Somewhere along the line, we started talking about the planet nonstop. That's an outer space metaphor. We are not fighting to save the planet. The planet will be here no matter. We are fighting to save ourselves, our children, our neighbors.
0: You have tuned in to PodSAM. PodSAM. The podcast channel of Sam Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode of Pod Sam, Sam's associate editor, Sarah Wojcik, speaks with Molly Kawahata, former climate advisor at the Obama White House last fall, about everything climate change. In this discussion, Molly talks about what we can do about climate change as an industry, suggests a way to frame it when speaking with the public, and shares why we shouldn't lose hope. She explores the story behind the PR campaign that created the term carbon footprint and how it led to climate shaming and why we ought to focus on a systemic climate action. We'll start the conversation here with SAM Associate Editor, Sarah Wojcik. I
2: first saw you on an SIA town hall discussion called The Connection Between Climate and Equity, and you had some really powerful things to say on that um, that I immediately followed up with you to see if we could chat. And uh, one of those was the history behind the term carbon footprint. And I know this was sort of all revealed pretty recently in the last few months. Um, Do you mind telling us a little bit about the history of that term?
1: All right. So, you, you know, we've heard the term individual carbon footprint in a lot of different contexts, but a lot of it is talked about and discussed widely by the environmental movement. And so you would think the term was popularized by environmentalists. What if I told you that the idea of an individual carbon footprint was popularized in a major PR campaign in the year 2000 by a company, a major corporation called British Petroleum or BP, as in BP oil spill, those people, major fossil fuel company. They devised this idea of integrating the term we when talking about climate change, look what we've done, look what we should do to change. And in that process, you ask yourself, who is we? We is you and me, right? We is ordinary everyday people, not fossil fuel companies. We does not include a frame of fossil fuel companies. So what happened was they created an online carbon footprint calculator. And in that process, you know, Mark Kaufman is an amazing journalist, wrote a good piece in Mashable about this. The term individual carbon footprint shot up in literature after that year it really was an effective campaign so we have to realize that when we're talking about the idea of an individual carbon footprint environmentalists we took that torch from bp and we ran with it it is fossil fuel propaganda i'm going to say that again individual carbon footprint is a fossil fuel propaganda, everything around greening your life around green products. It's just more corporate propaganda. And we have to think about that and keep that in mind in the context of a climate movement. And there are a lot of reasons, which I can get into now or later, if you want about why it was an effective campaign and what impact it has had and how we need to reframe accordingly.
2: Yeah. Let's go into some of those details because obviously it's, that's a, That's a big punch to a lot of us. When I heard that, I was like, wow, I have to completely reframe how I talk about um, environmental impact because carbon footprint is something I hadn't been using in my terminology for sure.
1: Yeah, we, I mean, everybody was bamboozled by them and and they're impactful in the way like the tobacco industry has been impactful. Your carbon footprint is a lie. The way this metric works is it takes a system based in fossil fuels and it blames the end user that's forced to use it. And let me give you an example. When I turn my lights on at night, am I polluting? An individual carbon footprint would person would tell me yes. And when I do the fake calculator, they say that that's my fault. Now, there's one grid I can plug into on the electricity grid. There's one. There's not a clean grid and a dirty grid. There's one. And so I don't have an alternative. I'm living in the only system I've been given and you are too, right? So when you ask, okay, what is the solution? The individual carbon footprint people tell me literally, maybe just like, don't use as much electricity. (laughs) And you're like, okay, now one energy efficiency, very important, great thing. If you can do it, please do. But we have to ask ourselves, I now take on the burden of you know, the burden and cost of not using as much electricity as I might need, right, if I were to deploy their solution, which I do not think is effective or reasonable, especially for people who don't have the flexibility, right, of taking on those actions. Now, if I'm now sitting in a sad, dark house at night, you have to ask yourself, what happened to the electric grid? absolutely nothing right i've incurred this cost of changing my life of making behavioral changes the grid doesn't clean up at all it is the most effective and impactful pr campaign in history and it is a complete lie it is intended to ensure that the system based in fossil fuels which we all live in continues as it is and it has had huge successes in doing that because in the process environmentalists started shaming each other shaming themselves climate guilt became a concept, like we all hear about the term climate guilt. People who have really good hearts, good intentions live with climate guilt about the fact that they exist. Yeah. Fossil fuel companies have made it so that you hate yourself for existing. And shame we know from all the research is just externalized self-hate. So in the process we've shamed each other and this is a very big thing in the ski industry. Yeah. I work with a lot of professional athletes, even companies who talk about the fact that they are the problem. Now, I get what they're saying, right? Like th- there is something to say for the fact that we all have a place in the solution. And I wanna talk about that next. But ultimately, if a CEO stands in front of a camera and apologizes for the fact that his company uses Gore-Tex to make jackets that skiers need to use when they're in Alaska in the Alpine, right? Like is the solution for me is not to use waterproof clothing? I don't no. think so. Like the ski industry takes this on. Athletes take this on. I know athletes, professional skiers, That I've decided I'm going to use my platform for good. And in doing so, they get death threats when they talk about climate change. And you would think those death threats, which are crazy to begin with, you would think that is coming from some anti-climate person. Mm -hmm. They tell me it is always coming from an environmentalist. They tell me that. It's coming from somebody who wants climate change to be acted upon. And they're saying, don't use helicopters. Don't use flights. Like, how can you wear this kind of clothing? You're living in the only system you've been given. And if you get mad at somebody for giving on a fl- getting on a flight, which I do not believe is an act of immor- immorality, yeah. if you get mad at them, you have to ask yourself, are they responsible for the fact that our entire transportation sector is premised on fossil fuels? And therefore do we sit in a sad dark house? So this is something that's very important to keep in mind. And this is why we need to reframe the climate movement because the individual carbon footprint was extended into companies. It became the new standard, right? And a lot of small businesses, entrepreneurs, they can't afford, they can't afford like a carbon accounting firm for hundreds of thousands, if not sometimes millions of dollars to take stock of what is happening across their supply chain. And so therefore, they don't have a place in the climate movement, or that's what they're told by the carbon footprint people. I disagree. And I think there are way cheaper and easier ways to act on climate that are way more effective for companies of all sizes. Yeah,
2: and that's something that was something I wrote down from um, the SAA talk that I saw you on was, you said, I don't care what your carbon footprint is, stop spending money on it. Um, so for, you know, for the people that are listening, like I said, we talk to a lot of resort operators. They are a lot of them are addressing their carbon footprint, maybe not calling it that, but, you know, their dependency on fossil fuels. Like, what would you share with them about how to move forward? Like, should they be changing course? Do they just need to talk about it differently? Is that work still valuable, what they're doing?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, because, like, there's nothing wrong with trying to address your carbon footprint, right? Like, there, there's a lot of good in that still. And I commend people and companies that can't afford to do it, who choose to. My point is for those that can't afford it, there's still a place for you in the climate movement, and there's absolutely still a place for your company. Um, Because I really do believe companies can lead the charge, but unless you're like some massive company with some massive carbon footprint, you're actually not probably the main cause of climate change, Right. right? We know that if you look at the pie of greenhouse gas emissions in the US, it's about one third transportation, one third electricity, and one third industry these are all things the ski resort relies on heavily, right? Mm -hmm. Manufacturing, getting stuff around in their supply chain uh, and electricity use. So when it's entirely premised on fossil fuels, you have to realize that we're limited in what we can do on the demand side to change entire markets. Now, huge companies actually can do this and do, like uh, very big companies through procurement practices, um, through creating new initiatives and compacts, but ultimately we're limited on the supply side. So really what we need is systemic change. And what does that mean? Climate change is a structural systems issue and it demands solutions at scale. I believe the only solution to climate change is a systemic one. And when we're focused internally on our own operations, which for this industry tend to be relatively small, ultimately we're not actually impacting systemic change in the way that's most effective because really what that means is policy and government action. That is the only way we can address climate change at the scale we need by the time we need.
2: And that's, yeah, Yeah. that kind of brings me to our next point, which is advocacy. Um, And so obviously you said, you know, people, these companies can still work on their fossil fuel dependency and be doing efforts that are, I mean, a lot of them also save them money, you know, reducing your reliance on certain, uh, certain forms of energy. Um, But for those that maybe can't afford to do an overhaul, um, or that are, are unsure how they should should come at climate change, advocacy seems like a really smart direction to move. So why should the ski areas focus on advocacy? Um, and then, you know, what can they do to, to support that?
1: Yeah, that's it's a good question, because I do feel that I mean, one way you can impact your operations in a way that has real impact is through procurement is through buying renewable energy. And I think that is a huge opportunity for the ski industry. And we we can talk about that more next. Ultimately, the most effective thing I believe companies can do is to use their platform for good, right? To advocate for change. And in the process, they can help change narratives. And we should talk about that next because that's also a big problem and a big opportunity in acting on climate. One thing, if you're a smaller company and you don't have a huge amount of lobbying power, Pressure your trade association to ensure that they are advocating for climate policies, right? All of them should be out there in D.C. ensuring that they're the folks that are intended to represent their industry are advocating for things like the clean electricity payment plan. Mm-hmm. SEP. SEP is like a, a huge opportunity for us to act on climate in a way that's really at scale at the federal level. We need all companies to be supporting that. So that's an example of that at the individual level, like the number one thing I tell people is that when they come to me, they're like, I want to act on climate change. What can I do? The number one thing I always tell people to do, and they expect me to tell them to like go vegan or, you know, ride your bike tour, they're expecting that kind of answer. I tell them one thing, register people to vote. Because when you can expand the electorate, what happens is that climate candidates get elected. You don't even have to be that deliberate about it, right? It, it, registering people to vote is a nonpartisan action. And so it's something anybody can do. It's a powerful mechanism for change. And that's how we can influence uh, systemic change. So opportunities, you know, there are companies that do like voter registration efforts, yeah. which is really cool. It's Again, it's a nonpartisan action. You don't need to be a 501c4 to do things like that. And and that's a powerful opportunity as well on in the individual level. So as much as it's about advocating for your industry, right, like when... SIA is talking about the intricacies of regulations deep in the bowels of agencies that impact your industry. They should also be talking about broad climate action coming out in support right way back, like coming out in support of the Paris Climate Agreement. Huge opportunities for companies to have a voice and many did. So that's something really important. And I think in the industry, the field is wide open. The field is wide open and that can be led by huge corporations and it can be led by small companies.
2: That's where I was going with this. And I think you already answered my question, but I was like, you know, what are guidelines for um, advocacy on an industry level, at a resort level and at an individual level? And I think the the things you just mentioned can be done by, um, I think, you know, pressuring trade associations to represent the industry um, when it comes to climate change and resorts and individuals. Both of them have the opportunity to register people to vote. Um, I love that it's a nonpartisan action, so you can just get out there without, you don't even need to take a stand, it's just get people, get people uh, registered.
1: Totally Um, non-controversial. Nobody's against that on the side of the aisle. Like, registering people to vote is a good thing.
2: Um, Another question I had when it comes to advocacy, though, um, I think some people are afraid to come forward um, because they're afraid of being performative or disingenuous about some of their about advocacy in general um, or taking a stand on certain things. um, What's a good way to avoid that?
1: For me, when a company takes some tiny sustainability operation in their own, you know, in in what they're doing, like small energy efficiency initiatives in like their stores, right? Like tiny changes. That's great, right? I still encourage you to do it if you can. Mm -hmm. But there's something called opportunity costs, right? Like time spent focusing on one thing is time not spent focusing on another. And if companies can build out an advocacy plan To me, there is no argument against them that there is any greenwashing happening. If you are taking a stance, nobody can call you out for that because that's way more powerful, right? You're fighting for systemic change. That's going to be way more impactful than like some tiny action to green your operations that are very small to begin with in the midst of, you know, 34 billion tons of carbon emissions that are emitted globally. Right. Like rather than take some small, emis- uh, take some small action, in your own operations, let's decarbonize the electricity sector. Okay. Let's electrify the transportation sector. Let's address industry. Right. Like the one third of carbon emissions. This does impact you know, the ski industry. Like industry is a very hard sector to decarbonize. And, and a lot of that is going to be you know, policies that can support R&D. But that has to happen at scale. So um, so anyway, the question about greenwashing, I think that if you can create an an advocacy plan and there are companies that are doing this that have done it successfully, because a lot of times there's this like risk, there's this risk like calculus and people think, okay, it's risky if I take action. Mm -hmm. It's actually risky now if you don't. Right. Like this is what consumers, customers are expecting of their brands and they are acting accordingly. Actually, you can look at companies like Patagonia, like Ben and Jerry's that have very passionate consumer bases because of the stances they take. And they are real stances, right? Like they are they are real things that I believe also help the company as much as they help what they're advocating for. So the risk is actually in not taking action because the world is moving steadily in the direction of solid climate action mm-hmm. climate deniers like people always talk about them they're like not even a percentage there's a huge overrepresentation of them in congress right which is again systemic change that's where we need to address this but like that's not where the country is the country is steadily not only in, in you know believes in climate action they are steadily in support of solid climate action ambitious climate action republicans and democrats if you look at the statistics So that is very powerful.
0: We'll get back to the conversation after we thank our sponsor, Flake. Flake, making ski school management simpler, smarter and better. Flake takes climate action seriously by utilizing renewable energy for all our office work, whether in home or at the office. Flake builds the future we want by investing in 10 times carbon usage through the purchase of offsets. Flake's next production cycle of our geolocator tags will include recycled materials while all previous tags have been recycled. Flake's dedication to sustainable operations goes beyond our products with goals to change the industry for the better. Learn more at www.flake.com. That's F-L-A-I-K dot what are some best approaches to talking about climate change as a public health crisis? You
2: brought this up when I saw you speak in the SIA town hall, um, that it's something that everybody can relate to. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how resorts can speak about it in that, in that sort of frame of mind.
1: Here's where I think the ski industry has gotten this wrong, is they've been focusing too much on adaptation and resilience, which is a part, and they should keep doing that, right? But I'm really sick about hearing about we need to fight climate change so skiers can keep skiing. Right, like who is your consumer base, right? It's like still a pretty privileged group. We're doing outreach, that's great. But ultimately we need to think about this in terms of mitigation. Mitigation is decarbonization, right? That's again, cutting greenhouse gas emissions at the source, at the sector. And when you do that, you do decarbonize your own operations. Adaptation and resilience is part of this, right? And it's something we all have to be aware of. And I think scientists are really good about talking about this. Natural disaster experts are good about talking about this, right? That's part of their narrative. But the reason I actually think we need to change focus is because climate mitigation is incredibly uplifting. And like people would always tell me when I worked for the White House, they were always like, don't you get like burnt out and sick about, Talking about climate change, like the more you learn about it, the more depressing it is. I was like, no. Actually, the more I've worked on this, the more hope I have. And that's the work of mitigation, right? Because one narrative that's not being told is that climate change is solvable, right? There is a promise land. There's an endpoint. And we are steadily moving toward it. It is the zero carbon economy of the future. We are making huge progress. There is huge momentum. So there's never been a better time to get on board, whether that's through policy, advocacy, registering people to vote whatever it is that you can do to make this country move toward that, toward that place, that's way more effective because when you focus on natural disasters, right? When you focus on adaptation resilience, ultimately you're saying, we're fighting natural disasters that are just gonna get worse and worse, right? This is where doom and gloom comes from, the we're too late BP stuff comes from, all of that. It makes you paralyze, And that's what we actually find in psychology and neuroscience research, right? Is that when the human body experiences pain, guilt, frustration, Hopelessness, it does not inspire you to act. Somebody tells me we're too late. What am I going to do? Right. But if somebody tells me like there's a solution, we're steadily moving toward it. Awesome. I'm on board. Yeah. And that's actually what we find. Right. And like a lot of what we need to do in climate change is to change in the narrative. So let me get into public health because I think that's most important. Yeah. People throw around the term climate justice all the time. You hear about it. Actually, like, I think there's not a huge understanding of what that means, because if you're not talking about public health, I do not believe you you can be talking about this term. Climate change is a public health crisis. So let me get into this. One in 10 black children in America have asthma. I'm going to say that again, 10% of black children in America have asthma. And when I cite this statistic, People fact check me because it's so shocking to them. But like, you know who this doesn't surprise are communities of color that have been fighting for clean air and clean water for their children for decades. When we focus too much on adaptation resilience, right? Polar bears, glaciers melting in the Arctic. We, you know, the outdoor industry, very guilty of focusing on this. Ultimately, we've ignored communities of color next door that literally cannot breathe, If you are living in a community of color, you are significantly likelier to live next to a fossil fuel power plant, a polluting highway, a toxic waste site, a refinery, and that impacts your air quality. What could be more fundamental, more of a human right than your ability to breathe? And we are robbing people of that. So, you know, in San Francisco, for example, environmentalists are talking about polar bears. Across the bay, there's Richmond, California, amazing frontline community, amazing community of uh, coalition of community organizers who are there, and they have some of the highest asthma rates in the country. What does that impact? In addition to that, it impacts lung disease, heart disease. It, it, it has higher rates of premature death, more hospitalizations, and in that process, more missed school days, more missed work days. Now, when you do this, that has huge economic impacts for you. Right, if you can't go to work, you're not able to provide as steadily for your family. If you die, those are children that no longer have parents that otherwise would have. They lose a breadwinner in their family. The the combination of economic impacts and public health are huge. So what we did is we went on a journey when we were at the White House to understand what is the most effective way to talk about climate change. So there are all of these frames, right? You hear about them all the time. There's natural disasters, right? Adaptation resilience blood standards, fires, images, this is every documentary you've ever seen on climate change is, is, you know, going for that narrative that scares people. So they don't really act. Right, so right. even though that's actually part of this narrative, right? It's an important part, like people acknowledging there are more fires, floods, hurricanes. We need to be aware of that. It's not an effective way to talk about climate change daily. Yeah. There's the economic narrative at the macro level, Again, so I'm talking about individuals and how they're impacted, but this is at the macro level. For every decade, you don't act on climate change. You actually are gonna cost the economy this much more. Way too abstract, right? Um, There's the environmental narrative. Again, glaciers melting, polar bears in the Arctic, skiers who can't keep skiing, right? A mom working two jobs, doesn't have the luxury about thinking about things happening thousands and thousands of miles away. It's actually not that effective. This is Al Gore's whole thing. Climate change is not just an environmental issue, it is a public health issue and that is actually what we found unequivocally by miles is the most effective way to talk about climate change because it transcends politics. Yeah. You don't even have to say climate change. I don't care if you don't say climate change. call pollution, that's what it is. That's what climate change it's pollution. And so in that process, you reach more people where they are because no matter where you are, there is not a person out there that does not care about the health and well-being of their children. So that's our efforts. We need to move it into the space of public health. And in that process, we need to do what's called reframing. Are
2: there best practices for communication in terms of public health as a climate crisis?
1: This is part of this. I lived this out that if you do not get the American people on board, you are very limited in what you can do, Mm -hmm. right? I can try to do everything we're trying to do in the policy space at the White House we were limited because of where we were with Congress, which represented right districts across the country. If you cannot get the American people on board, you are limited in creating systemic change. So that's my theory of change. You have to get them on board. And so you have to meet them where they are. Now, there's a lot of psychology and neuroscience around how we can do that more effectively and how we can have conversations that bring more people into them. Because we have left a lot of folks out of the environmental movement for decades. Right. Communities of color have been the most folks that have been actually not given a a seat at the table when they built the table. Right. The original climate activists fighting for clean air and clean water. So what I started to realize when I was at the White House is I can try to do everything I'm doing in policy. But this is actually something we have to fight just as much in people's minds. Right. Just as much as we're fighting this in the street in policy, it's something we need to fight in people's minds. We need to create a better way of doing this and talking to people where they are. So There is something called reframing, and this is all based on the work of George Lakoff, who's a cognitive linguist, who was at UC Berkeley for years. He's written many books, including a book called The Political Mind. so this is all based on his work, but reframing is a fundamental part for us to fight climate change more effectively. And when you're talking about greenwashing, right? How we can talk about this more effectively, this is how you do it. There was a psychology study that happened in the eighties where the researchers told the subjects to not think of a white bear. So Sarah, when I tell you to not think of a white bear, tell me what you're thinking about.
2: Thinking about a white bear. <laughs>
1: exactly. What this showed, and it shows it every time, is that thought suppression is very difficult.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When you tell somebody not to think about something, that's what they think about. And like, let me tell you, the last time somebody told you, don't be anxious. What do you feel? What are you thinking about, right? Your thinking of being anxious makes it worse. Yeah. That's what's happening, right? This is a principle of how our brains work. So what, what we do a lot is we actually respond to anti-climate narratives. And in the process, we reinforce those narratives. Mm-hmm. So when you say not, doesn't, isn't, you're still reinforcing these two things. So I'm gonna give you an example. There's a common climate frame that's put out there that climate action hurts the economy, right? Wiring in your brain, climate action in a hurt economy. And what we do know is that when, uh, when a web of neurons in your brain is fired, it wires together. So the more you fire two things together, the stronger that association is in your brain. It literally creates a neural pathway. So when somebody says climate action hurts the economy, they're wiring those two things together, climate action and a hurt economy. So it is not effective for me to go stand next to that guy and say, no, climate action does not hurt the economy because (laughs) I'm telling everybody not to think of a white bear. Climate action, hurt economy, wired. I'm helping advance that narrative. So, what we need to do is called reframing, right? We need to take this completely out of their domain. Don't even respond to it. Reframe. And an example of this, you can even look at healthcare. Like people were saying to President Obama, health, you know, they were saying Obamacare costs too much. And he turned it around. He said, healthcare is a human right." right, right? Taking away the association between healthcare and cost. And now wiring together healthcare and human rights. What is more powerful, right? That does not include an association with cost anymore. That's now out of the, the, the discussion. So when we reframe, we need to move this into public health, right? We need to move this again, a, away from talking about greening your life. People are saying, ride your bike to work, you know, cut, turn off your lights at night, do all these great things. Do Again, do them if you can. Ultimately, we have to reframe, fight for systemic climate action. Register people to vote address gerrymandering, address voter suppression, address campaign finance reform. When you do those things, you address systemic change, right? That's what companies, individuals can do to impact the political process in a way that actually impacts climate change at scale. So that's what's called reframing. And it's really important that we're not responding to their frames. We're creating our own. What we need to do is actually think in terms of neuroplasticity, and that's psychology. And also the other part of this is emotions, right? Like All of politics is just emotions. People love to pretend it's about policy. It never is when it's like at the individual level. It's always about what somebody feels, what your values are, how you identify with somebody who's fighting for that. And that's what this is about, right? So when you can talk about mitigation, cutting greenhouse gases, again, at the source, at the sector, that is an uplifting message. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's an accurate one, right? It's not just like, it makes us feel good. It's like, it makes us feel good because it's real, it's true
2: especially okay. when you, and I'm, and I'm just coming back to public health again, especially when you can kind of connect it to that. That's kind of one of the key pieces in how you're communicating about it is when you talk about public health, you talk about the health of your family and your children and your neighbors, that's where you're, you're hitting those emotions.
1: Exactly. Am I right? Okay. Exactly. No, that's exactly what it is. Like what could be more powerful than fighting for helping other people breathe? What's more powerful than that? That is climate justice, by the way. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about that intersection. When climate change becomes climate justice, it is public health and it is, it is in reframing the narrative to that. So companies need to be talking about this, mm-hmm. right? Stop talking. I hate the term green and I hate the term planet. Do you know why? <laughs> The planet thing, like, when do we start doing that? I don't know the history of this, but like some, somewhere along the line, we started talking about the planet nonstop. That's an outer space metaphor. Okay. What could be more powerful, resilient in outer space than like a planet? Yeah. We are not fighting to save the planet. The planet will be here no matter what, right. me, no matter what we do, we are fighting to save ourselves, our children, our neighbors. Right that's what this is about and we need to make it about people again so again reframing stop talking about planet stop saying greening everything and i say it greening kind of ironically right like actually i should probably stop saying that but it's not about sustainable living anymore it's about fighting climate change at scale so again everybody sustaining, you know, living a more sustainable life. Great. Keep doing it. But if you're here, we need you over here Mm -hmm. fighting for systemic climate action, because as great as it is, it's not fighting climate change unless you're looking at this systemically.
2: Yeah. And I think to sum it up, if you have limited resources, the place you should put it is into communication and advocacy.
1: And that's really like, if you have privilege, this is where you should be spending your time. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's fighting for people who don't. That's fighting. You know, like, again, you're sitting in your sad, dark house and across town, there's like a fossil fuel power plant and the community can't breathe. Frontline community. You did nothing to help them and your life now sucks. (laughs) Right? Like, it's way more powerful. Like, if you, instead of doing that, get a few friends and you register them to vote, right? You pressure your trade association. You lobby, you advocate, you activate your consumer base. Whatever it is you're doing, What happens? Say now instead, new candidates get elected, and for example, they implement the clean electricity power plan. Oh, that's in DC right now. Say they do that. What now happens is that the electricity sector starts to decarbonize. Yes. And the air breathes up, uh, the air cleans up for communities that can't breathe. Now you've helped them, right? Mm -hmm. That's what this is about. Companies have a huge opportunity to lead on that.
2: When we're talking about ski areas, adopting this narrative, do you have any tips on the best way to do that? The best way to to start their outreach? You know, what's a good first step for them to take if they're gonna kind of reframe how they're looking at climate change and how they're going to act upon it?
1: Yeah, so I think there are really good toolkits out there. And I think like, honestly, one good place to start is Patagonia did a website on environmental justice Mm -hmm. and it's the best I've seen from like a corporation. I feel, I personally feel they get it right because they use a lot of language and a lot of work with credit to activists on the ground. And that's the premise of of environmental justice. One of the things you can do beyond just pressuring your trade association is to donate to community organizers on the ground fighting for environmental justice. Super effective. This is a big thing Patagonia does. Um,
2: And that's a great way to identify um, people in your local community that are already doing the work and you can support them.
1: hundred percent. Like you don't need to be, this is a huge thing also with the climate movement is there's a lot of, the environmental movement has a lot of gatekeepers, right? You see them on social media, like saying, you cannot speak on this because I don't agree with the way you live your life, even though I probably live it in a very similar way. (laughs) And by the way, there's something called fundamental attribution error in psychology. Okay. So if I see you take some action, I don't agree with, I am significantly likelier to blame that on something wrong with you, your morality Mm -hmm. Right. You're lazy. You make poor decisions. You're not capable of doing the right thing. If I make the exact, literally the exact same mistake myself, I'm now significantly likelier to blame it on external circumstances. Right. Right. It was out of my control. It was a bad day. It was bad luck. Yeah.
2: We just need to move away from but, them altogether. <laughs> that's
1: what environmental shamers are doing, right? They're yeah. cherry picking the yeah. actions they are able to do themselves, right? Because of privilege, they're sitting on a perch of privilege. They're hissing at everybody below because they're not living the life that they, they are able to, even though they're doing their best. Yeah. And in the process, they're just using fundamental attribution error. So maybe, you know, they get mad at you for getting on a flight, but they drive a car. Right right? If you really care about climate change, are you actually like cutting your carbon footprint that much? The way the carbon footprint lie is premised is that you actually can't cut it much because it's not in your control. Yeah. You can maybe cut a few tons of carbon from your carbon footprint max out of, again, 34 billion tons of global emissions. (laughs) So the whole thing is just flawed. It's fossil fuel propaganda. We've got to stop advancing it. Companies have got to stop advancing it. Heart's in the right place. Just reframe and move to systemic change. Awesome.
2: Well, that brings me to my last question. And I think, you know, we've touched on this already um, with local advocacy, but what types of things are still worth doing closer to home, Um, whether it's advocacy or action? um, Offsetting your your carbon, uh, recycling, composting, those small things. You know, these are companies that are taking big actions to do some of these things. What are what's still worth focusing on?
1: Yeah. Buying renewable energy procurement. That is powerful. That's real, right? Like do power purchase agreements if you're able to buy renewable energy. Lululemon, not the biggest electricity footprint in the world. They just did like a big virtual PPA with, I think it was an L, right? That's effective. And and Google um, has a lot of materials on this, a lot of white papers on literally how to do it almost like step-by-step explaining what a power purchase agreement is. you have the resources to do that, that matters. That's real.
2: I think we could talk forever about this. Is there anything else you want to add?
1: I would just say that, like, again, the field is wide open. Very few companies are leaning on this. Some are, right? A lot of, like, sustainable living BS I hear about all the time. I just, like, don't. That doesn't make me excited about a company when they tell me what they've done. What makes me excited about a company is when, like, for example ben and jerry's advocates for like real racial action (laughs) like and also like now people are more loyal to them that's what gets me excited when patagonia is taking like big scalable action to advocate for policies that have impact when companies sign up for like supporting the paris climate agreement sending public letters using their platform mobilizing their base do a voter registration drive at your resort i don't care just like advocate and create real change. Those things might feel small because you're still an individual contributor, right? But ultimately they create systemic change. When you green your operations in a small way, when you green your life, that does not aid in the ultimate impact of systemic change. Those are two different ways to use individual action. One has huge impact. And I really do believe in the power of individuals and companies of every size you know, from an entrepreneur, like, you know, like an entrepreneur all the way up to a big corporation to create that change in society. And in the process, you're saving your children. So what could be more purposeful?
0: Want more? Find more PodSAM episodes at www.saminfo.com. And be sure to watch Molly's new film produced by Patagonia called Scale of Hope about creating a new climate narrative while preparing for an expedition in the Alaska range. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our podcast advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintering Mix podcast guy. Thank you for tuning in to PodSAM.